Hey, little Steve, how are you doing? Good, PC. How are you? I'm I'm doing amazing, and I'm so happy to have you. It took us quite a bit of time to schedule this final t this time where you can introduce us to the, your secrets of real estate investing. So thank you so much, mm -hmm. uh, Steve, uh, for taking the time to run us through some of those. Steve, first, I would like to, to introduce you a little bit. So you're now CEO of Parker Chase Properties, but you have a long yep. experience, uh, one I would dream of. Yep. Uh, basically, yeah. so you are an entrepreneurship, you are a software uh, software CEO, so startup CEO yourself. You've been in VC mm -hmm. for 10 years, an angel investor. Uh, you've mm -hmm. been, you are an alumni from Wharton. MBA, the only one yeah. that basically matters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you've been a real estate investor for, for 20 years. So tell us about your, your journey. How yeah. did you come to becoming a real estate investor? Um, so like, I'm from the United States. I live in the United States still. We were living on the East Coast of the United States, and my wife and I kind of thought we wanted to diversify our investments out of just stocks and cash and bonds and that type of thing. And we wanted to start investing in real estate. A friend of ours introduced us to this town of Park City, Utah, which is in the mountains in the western part of the United States, and um, really fell in love with it and decided, you know, let's buy a place for us that's really primarily, though, to be rented out to others. It was from the very beginning, and our first investment was about 24 years ago. Let's buy a property and make it into a vacation rental, and we'll use it a little bit, but it's primarily for other guests to use. And that's how we got into it with just one property. So that's fantastic. So you you were running your own software company, decided to diversify into real estate. Classical yep. story that it's close to home in my case. And yeah. you also turn into VC investments. So basically with your, the fund that you've been operating, managing uh, yeah. for the past uh, for 10 years? Yes, 10 years. How is it different yeah. between VCs? So the cycle between VC and real estate investment. Obviously, you're talking about real estate investment that's your own money, but others sure. are also, you know, want to raise funding to run investments for, for others as well. What's what's the difference? Really? What is your, your experience with VC fund with VC fund so, uh, investing? Yeah, so there's yeah, so there's a lot of differences. So I was part I was a managing partner of Dream Adventures um and departed there back in this past year. Um, and I think the differences are, I'll, I'll draw the differences first from a different point of view. Like, let's talk about being a VC, venture capitalist, and investing in startups versus being an operator, right? Being a CEO or being an entrepreneur and a founder. Um, I kind of like both roles, and I like going back and forth. It's kind of fun for me sometimes to be the investor and sometimes to be the operator. So I kind of like to operate on both sides of the table. Owning real estate and investing in real estate as an operator, right? Just think of it, that's a type of startup. So we have a startup now. It's called Parker Chase Properties. In a sense, it's a startup. It now owns and operates four different properties in Park City, Utah. I enjoy operating. I enjoy building, right? VC is more, you know, I can invest in PC. I can invest in hospitable, but I'm not operating. And I actually... I enjoy operating and building companies. I enjoy new challenges. And you don't, I find you don't get that as much from the VC side. And part of my DNA is I like to build. So building companies is something enjoyable. And I actually really have found over the last 20 years, I really enjoy the hospitality space. So it's not just real estate investment, but it's a space that I really enjoy working inside of. Um, and yeah, and we just keep building it and deliver great experience for guests, which to me brings me a lot of joy. Not sure why, but I just, part of my <laughs> DNA. 
So that's fantastic. So talk to us a little bit about your your, your vacation rental business, the properties that you're yeah. having, the location. So Park City, Utah. I was not yeah. familiar with that at all, but uh, earlier you shared a bit of the view that you're currently having right now yeah. because you're based yeah. there. That seems yeah. absolutely lovely. <laughs> so yeah. are we, what is Parker Chase property doing? So Parker Chase properties were very, very small. It's just, it's a family business. Um, it's not a venture backable business. We'd never, it would never attract VC dollars because it's too small and it doesn't have aspiration to be like a billion dollar company, but that's not what it's set up to do. And it's fine. Um, so Parker Chase properties, we, we operate in this market, which is Park City, Utah. It's the only market that we operate in. We have four luxury properties. We need to drill down on that because everybody says they're a luxury property. Um, I want to get into what that means. Um, all of our properties are ski and ski out, or if you snowboard, they're snowboard in out. Um, also great in the summer. One of the unique aspects of Park City, Utah, not knowing where everybody who might be listening to this uh, podcast is is from. One of the really cool things about Park City, Utah, as a mountain, western United States mountain destination, both a ski destination and a now a fabulous summer destination over the last 15 years, is it's very close to Salt Lake City, Utah. So, by the way, if I wanted to hop on a Delta Airlines flight and fly to Paris, I think Delta has two flights a day to Paris and vice versa. So you have a very big hub airport. And if I jumped in my car outside our condo that I'm sitting in right now, right now on Main Street in Park City, Utah, I'd be at Salt Lake Airport in 35 minutes in big wide open roads so something that's very unique about this mountain destination unlike destinations in colorado or wyoming you know you spend a day trying to travel to and from there or you fly into a big airport and then drive two and a half hours through a a, a winding road through the mountains something that's really unique and special about park city utah is it's a 35 minute drive and you're or 40 minutes at the most and you're at a major international global hub is one of the things that's really cool about this town is that something that was intentional for you when you did the research and looking into your first property in Park City? That was really the that was that an item on the bucket list, or you already you figured that out later? Great question. So we, I wasn't as intentional as that. I wish I could say I was that smart. It was so you know, let's build a map of the United States and start putting pins what's close to airports. It wasn't. It was the first time my brother, a friend of his, had a place out here, and we came out to visit and. The, along with my brother and we came out to see it and we thought wow this is so cool it's like 35 minutes and you're from the airport so it wasn't like we sought it out we just happened to come here and we recognized what a lot of people over the last several decades have recognized like it's so easy to get here um so it wasn't it wasn't deliberate but as soon as we got here it's like wow that was easy because when you go to a lot of other western mountain destinations you realize like it's 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 a trip getting there in and of itself is quite a bit of work this is easy so that's great. One, one last question. I mean, we're mm -hmm. going to talk everything. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But so you decided to stay with Park City. So a lot of mm -hmm. a consideration, obviously, in real estate investments is that, you know, you don't, especially in short term rentals, vacation rentals, you don't want necessarily to put all your eggs in the same regulation basket. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you decided to, to stay there. Was regulation uh, a part of the landscape, a part of the consideration for you to stay and keep on buying in, a, in, a, in Park City? Yeah, so it's a great question, by the way. So let me let me go backwards in time just a little bit. As a reminder, so we've owned out here. It's pretty easy because our 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 uh, child, oldest child, Spencer, is 23 years old. 
Uh, my wife was six months pregnant when we bought this first condo. So we've owned it for about 24 years. Look, when we bought this, Airbnb didn't exist. I think Brian Chesky might have still been in diapers. Um, we've owned it for 24 years. VRBO, I think, was up and running, just the beginning of it. So there wasn't as much worry about regulation. But Park City already had those type of regulations in place. Look, this is a vacation destination. And a lot of the ski towns in the west, western U.S., like I know that geography pretty well, have always had like, okay, you can do nightly rentals here, you can't do nightly rentals there. In Park City today, there are areas we're looking at buying a home right now that we're putting under contract for us to live in, actually, and, and move here pretty full time. Um, the area where we're buying a home for us is a residential area. You're not allowed to do nightly rentals. You never have been. The condo I'm sitting in right now, 30 years ago, was zoned for nightly rentals. So they've always thought that way in Park City, and they've managed the inventory that way. So that's always been a factor um, going on here. Um, I just wanted to go back for a minute, PC, and just mention also on um, the idea about Park City, something else that's kind of unique. It's not just just to highlight the town. It's not just that, ooh, it's close to the airport. Well, what else does it have? So I'm sitting, ski in, ski out right now, if we looked at the ski lift outside the window, for Park City Mountain Resort. Park City Mountain Resort is the largest skiable terrain in all of North America. You could ski here for three days and not ski every single trail, or if you like boarding, boarding. And it's a site of one of the um, Winter Olympics back in 2002, I believe. So Park City Mountain Resort is enormous. Next to Park City Mountain Resort is Deer Valley Resort. It's the number one, number two ranked ski resort in all of North America year after year. So you have two major ski resorts. Last thing in the summer, we joke with people, is there anything to do in the summer? Well, it's like, well, there's 450 miles of hiking and biking trails just in Park City, we'll let other people convert that to kilometers. There is so much to do here, and it's easy to access. And it's got great regulations, I think, about vacation rentals. Last point I wanted to just make. You said about putting basically all of your eggs in one basket. We have done that. From, there is some risk to that. We even worry about global warming as a risk, although there's some ways to mitigate that, we think, with this. The, the reason why I like and we like to invest Park City is I believe strongly from a real estate perspective. You know, I don't know if you drink wine, right? But I'm just going to do an analogy for a minute. People will talk about, well, I got wine from this vineyard. And, okay, where's the vineyard? Well, it's in Burgundy. Well, where in Burgundy? Well, it's in this part of the town. Okay, is it on the right-hand side of the street or the left-hand side of the street? Close to the mountain or five from the mountain? Because the way the sun and the fog settles on the grapes makes that wine completely different. And you could have two vineyards that are 100 meters apart, and the wine is completely different. We, I have that knowledge of Park City, Utah. I understand it almost like vineyards. There's all these little towns, which side of the street you're on. That's part of the reason. And the other part of the reason is we have a team here, right? We've, we have our housekeeping team that we've been working with for 15 years so, and, and property managers. So for us, it's a bit of wash, rinse, and repeat. We have a repeatable team, a repeatable process where we can just keep loading in inventory and make a successful venture out of every new every new property that we put in. So that scalability for us and that dependable team in a locale is one of the reasons we keep investing in this market. That, that's fantastic. And you add a wine analogy to a French person. So, you know, yes. <laughs> that's on your bucket list. I, I was very, dishing. That was very <laughs> dish, dangerous. To you do. made it. Yeah. So yeah. um, let, let's dive a little bit deeper into the, the lessons that you wanted to, to give us. And that's a return of your own experience as an investor and an operator. So are you self-managing or relying on a property management company just, you know, for qualifying you? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do all direct bookings. So all of our bookings come over Airbnb or VRBO initially, and we're looking to get into yeah. direct bookings as well. So everything is direct. We A lot of times, though, I'm in Philadelphia on the east coast of the United States, about 80 kilometers south of New York is where I kind of live full time and split my time. We need boots on the ground. So if something goes wrong, somebody can go into a condo. If a toilet's clogged at two in the morning, we need hands to be able to get in there. So we have a property manager whose only job is to maintenance, break, fix, you know, during shoulder season, take care of things. That's their only job. You're when people are renting, though, they're renting directly from us. They're renting for me when they're interacting with me. A lot of times they're getting messages over hospitable. Thank you very much, PC. <laughs> so it's not actually me, but I'm programming all that. So they're interacting with us, yeah. but we do have boots on the ground locally to take care of operational issues. So would you can I can we call that a maintenance person uh, to? I, you call oh. you could i think they do a little bit more than just maintenance okay. but yes you know they do preventative maintenance routine maintenance break you know hey the fire stick on this tv isn't working somebody needs to go in so it's like maintenance i think it's a little nicer in english at least like to me they are okay. managing the property but i can tell you by the way i pay them basically a fixed fee per month to manage the property they're not taking a percentage of revenue like okay. let's distinguish in at least in english Like to me, there's property managers and there's rental managers. Rental manager takes a percentage of the income. That's not the setup here. They are paid a monthly fee to help manage these individual properties. Okay, so tell us about your. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank thank you very much for that for that precision. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go into the the first step. So you you're in Park City, Utah. You mentioned you know the largest um, skiing space in North America. I would love to come there. Um, would, I be the, come would I be the right profile for, for being a guest at one of your properties? So for one of our properties, I don't know, but let's talk about that. So so one of the things I find that we do, and I talk with, by the way, we have two kids that are both in college, and my wife is an entrepreneur and CEO and, and runs companies. And one of the fun things for us is by running Park and Chase properties, it lets me also teach. I love to teach. It lets me teach our kids about entrepreneurship and startups and and marketing and customers. So would you be the right customer for us? I don't know, but I, I can tell you, I think one of the mistakes, and when we talk about like, well, let's get into what are the five underappreciated aspects to maximizing vacation rental ROI? First issue, who is your ideal target customer? Who are you going after? So that's what you're asking me, PC, right? Like, who is your ideal target customer? And I think to be a very successful real estate investor, particularly in short-term rentals, which is my expertise, is you need to understand who is that target customer? What are their attributes, right? Like, what am I looking for? And are there enough of them in your market? So when I talk about an ideal customer profile or ICP, which by the way, is a very marketing term, right? Like I, you were saying, I went to Wharton for an MBA. I didn't, I taught at Wharton. Like a little dirty secret about me is like, I don't have an MBA. <laughs> You're right. Like, I, You're I right. This is me I not treating the okay. notes well. No, My bad, right. Steve. I, No, 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 no. It's, it's fine. I, everybody thinks I have an MBA. I don't, right? That's the funniest thing is I just have 30 years of building businesses and like I have a sweat MBA and I used to teach at Wharton, which was fun. So in marketing, you teach about this idea about ICP. So I often will say to people that are doing vacation rentals, oh, we're going to buy a vacation rental. What should we do? I was like, well, first of all, who is your target customer? Now, one of the litmus tests I like to use for a target customer to help people in short-term rentals is almost think of it like a hotel right? Meaning, like, what customer are you going after? For instance, PC, if you're traveling, would you, let me ask you this, what type, what hotel chain would you typically book a hotel at? Would you book at a core, 
Best Western, Marriott, would you stay at the Four Seasons? Would you stay at a Ritz-Carlton if you're traveling with your wife and your baby or your wife and your family? Where I just what would, I where would you typically stay? I I don't know. I have uh, in the, in the past I've been staying more at Best Western. Um, okay. Simple, good amenities. Uh, I know what to expect. Obviously, I kind of tend to avoid you know hotels because I don't know if you heard about this kind of business I, I'm having. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know, I know, I know. It's a little bit of a that, question. There, but there is Sorry, the, but... that's basically the thing I would go away. So basically, I I think a lot of value for for money, but it's probably paying a little bit more than you know just having a, a stock a stock bedroom. Absolutely. And so even if you're saying, well, like, I'm always going to stay at a short-term rental, I'm never going to stay at a hotel. But I still no, but think you it's can like, stay at a hotel anyway. It's just, absolutely. Uh, and, okay. and by the way, like, where do my wife and I stay when we travel? Do I stay at a Ritz-Carlton in a Four Seasons? Maybe once every four years because there's some reason we're going to a wedding and that's where the venue is. But a lot of times I'm not going to pay that. But oh, by the way, we'll get into expectations later. I'm going to be very satisfied because I go to if I go to a Best Western, you know, in in our our son, our our oldest child, Spencer, was just studying in the south of France. He uh, was down and they were down in Montpelier in the south of France. If I booked a Best Western, my expectations are set. Right, it's a reasonable rate. I'm going to get a clean room and a clean bed. So, but my point, just to go back to the conversation here, is who is your ideal target customer? Like, almost think of it. What type of hotel would they stay in? So for what we do at Parker Chase Properties, our ideal target customer is somebody who stays at a St. Regis, Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton. We go very, very, very high end is our ideal target. And then everything, it becomes like a North Star for us. Well, hmm, what size TV? What should we do about amenities? What would that target customer expect in a property? Um, where should the location be? What should the amenities be? What should the building amenities? But everything falls down from there. So I think the first point to really, um, the first thing for understanding, like, you know, what are the, what are the things you should be thinking about? That first point is making sure you have a very clear ideal target customer that you can answer that question. What are the attributes of the customer that you're going after? And is that something that in your view is different, is something that can be different from property to property? So, you know, having a luxury rental, then, you know, having something completely different focus and persona that's being chased or, do you believe that there is a benefit in basically sticking the entire business or your own line of properties on one unique persona? It's it's a it's a great question. Look, we focus on one persona. It's a persona that I just keep refining over time, and I really enjoy working with. I think also it lets us buy higher end properties, and and the revenue is really interesting to us. And as an as an investor, it's very interesting. Like for instance, I could buy a I could buy a condo in Park City, Utah tomorrow. That's two hundred thousand dollars. I, I could. There, it would be way out of town. It would be very beat up. It would be, you know, a, a, a half hour or 45 minute drive to the slopes where we're sitting ski and scout. I could do that or I could buy a $2 million condo, which is 10 times the cost. And it's a lot more risk. But I'd rather do that because as we try to grow our portfolio, I want to grow it in bigger bites. Because if I had to buy 10 $200,000 condos and manage 10 and 10 guest arrivals every Saturday or Sunday, like it's just it's a lot of churn. I'd rather take bigger bites of the apple. Look, I think it doesn't matter. Just pick a target, understand what the target is, and go after that target religiously and align things to it. I'm not saying our target is the best target. Like, not everybody stays at the Four Seasons. There's there's very few. That's what we go after. My point is, if you want to deliver, and, and as you're investing in short-term rentals, just be clear on the focus. Because I find people, 
My funniest thing is people going after luxury guests and they deliver a shitty experience and a horrible amenities. And, and we win every single time in that because we're very, very focused. So my point is pick an ideal customer profile. I don't care which one it is, wherever you want to be on the stack, and then passionately go after it and make sure your team is aligned around that. And uh, so I don't have a $2 million property, but obviously I follow the same kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was really living in Brussels. My target was really people that were traveling between Paris and Amsterdam in a group of friends, because it was, I could offer them a very comfortable setup uh, where they could sleep uh, with, uh, with four people. I was serving them breakfast. I was expecting that they right. would not have data connectivity. So one of those amenities I was pro providing them was really a SIM card where they could really mm -hmm. just connect to the local That's network great. and get access to all those things. Um, and getting them on a, on a bit of an experience where I was giving them a few beers. And obviously, that was a perfect time for, uh, for everyone right. to kind of know each, each other. But that was really my kind of person. I was looking for an experience like this on a city where maybe they're going to spend two days in between Paris and Amsterdam. And who was basically those type of personas that were traveling in Europe at that time? There were a lot of Chinese people uh, or Asians that basically were traveling right. to Europe for this kind of trip, maybe of a, of a lifetime, or they, they saved and worked out for, to make that happen. And they wanted to have also great return, great experience on, on their stay. So it just, the lesson is universal. Focus on your persona. It doesn't have to be the one for a $2 million property. But you drop that number. You drop yeah, that yeah. number. So right. that's kind of transitioning us onto the second point that you're making is, yeah. how do you make it work on a $2 million property? I appreciate your argument about yeah. the operational intens intens intensity. It, it, intensity. It's very intensive. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Intensity? That's, it's late yeah, for yeah. me. Uh, so okay. intensity, uh, it's just that you take a lot more risk. Uh, tell me, yeah. Steve, you, you're not yeah. completely idiotic. You, you do some math uh, to right. check that you can actually make it happen in a profitable way, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, I'm gonna, as I get into this, we talk to our kids about this. Like We're very open financially because to me, it's a great learning opportunity. So to me, it's a, it's a math problem. And then it's a confidence problem. So here's basically, and I think, you know, the, the point that you're making, I think it's a, it's a good point. So we go back to like, what's that second underappreciated aspect to maximizing vacation rental or a lot? Well, you better understand your math going into it. So the way we've looked at it, and I haven't checked it in the last year because we haven't bought anything new in the last year is what's the ratio? So this is a pretty simple ratio we use. And I've, I've talked to our kids about this. It's really simple. Whatever. If we're going to buy a property in this market, and the same numbers kind of work in other markets. This is the, the ratio we used three years ago. It changes a little bit with interest rate, right? If, we can, if I can convince myself that we can do 10% per year of whatever we're going to buy the property for, and we can do that in top-line bookings. Remember, we're doing direct rentals. Um, if we can do 10% per year in direct bookings, that property will cash flow, basically. We're not going to make a lot in year one, but it'll cash flow. So if we can buy a property in Park City, Utah, or anywhere, and it's let's just use the $2 million number, and I can do $200,000 a year in top-line bookings, 10% of $2 million is $200,000, that property will cash flow. Assuming, let me give you some assumptions, we generally put 25% down, so 75% debt. There's a mortgage on these properties. It's got HOA fees, homeowner association fees, insurance, and all kinds of things. When we layer in all the fees and debt service and everything else, if if we can do that, those numbers will work. By the way, it's it's the same thing. If I'm going to buy a Holiday Inn for thirty four million dollars, how do you make a thirty four million dollar property work? Well, 
at a Holiday Inn one night at a time. But anyway, it's the same thing. So that's that formula. So I think the number two thing is make sure you understand your math before going into a property. Look, the first property we bought was not that $2 million. It was a much lower number. And I, I realized the ratio. I'm a, sometimes a slow learner. Like five or 10 years later, when we bought like a second property, I was like, wait a second, there's a ratio here. And in professional real estate investing, you look things at cap rates and um, net, you know, net operating income, NOI. It's a very similar formula. With interest rates up, you'd probably need to do about 15% of top line bookings to if you're putting that much debt on it. Um, if you're, by the way, if you're a straight property manager, which I don't think many people that, that are hospitable, I think they're mostly direct rental owners, like like I am. That math wouldn't apply because you're not you're not buying the property. But if you're buying the property, look at that ratio. What's the top line revenue you need to generate that's going to cover everything else? And then it's a math formula. That's that's a, that's an interesting cue. So the. Uh, so let's talk about to, Brussels. So that, that's just about, to, yeah, I, I, I don't we, know. I didn't, do have, I didn't do own have time the place. <laughs> don't ask me that question. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so it, it was a different one. But for me, so for, for me, yeah, obviously, that's something an operation that unfortunately I had to stop. Uh, and I'm looking back, you know, so I'm taking my own private lesson. So I'm actually uh, looking into buying uh, an actual short term rental property for, for myself, which is not something right. I have a chance of doing just yet. Uh, but right. for me, really, just if you are arbitraging, uh, basically, you need to at least cover the cost and more. Sure. So for me, right. it was really like, my, my lesson was more about the occupancy that I, that I had. So basically I need to pay right. my rent uh, just on the, on the, on, the, occup on the, the reservation I could get on the weekends and then basically yeah, yeah. make my margin on everything else that I could rent during the day. Sure. Um, Brussels is a city where you can also have a few business travelers and group staying for, uh, for an extended period of time. So that basically right. was, uh, was the thing because I knew that the, um, the spots on the weekends obviously were the first to go. So that's kind of a, Normal, normal Can, lesson, and it needed right. to provide, yeah, at least, um, yeah, on a on a yearly basis, I would say three hundred percent of the the rental okay. cost. Uh, right. I mean, so, obviously, so not that, as big as the yeah. discrepancy that you have as a as a property owner. Sure. Right. Can I tell you? Can I summarize those two points and tell you a quick funny story? I know we're going to run long go, here. Go so I apologize. So we said number one. You, by the way, it was very clear in Brussels. You had a very specific target customer in mind. You, you got real. They're traveling between Brussels and Paris. Um, they're I, taking again, again, you make me look very smart. It's something I no, found no. out later, and then I doubled yeah. down on it because I realized that right. makes perfect sense. But, but that's why we're doing the podcast so yeah, we can yeah, share these. Cool. Like we learned about it, we could, you know, we figured it out after the fact. Like, wait a second, that works. So when you, so when, like, when we're investing, and I'll tell you a funny story how seriously we take this, right? So number one, who's your target customer? Number two, can you make the ratio work of whatever you're buying it for, for what that rental income is going to be, which is how real estate works globally around the world, not just short-term rentals. Just a quick funny story. So I was out here with our oldest child, Spencer, back in like 2019, and we wanted to invest more. And I, Spencer, read this whole book on real estate investing. We talked on the flight out here from Philadelphia to, to Utah. And we looked we had three days, and I think we looked at about 20 properties because we wanted to buy two or three. We kind of personally had a little family windfall, and we try to teach our kids. We invest money. If we have money, we put it in appreciating assets, not depreciating assets. Like, oh, look, we have a little extra money. Let's buy fancy cars. No, let's not do that. That depreciates. Let's invest it in real estate and things that should appreciate. So we flew out, and I flew out with Spencer to look at a bunch of properties. And one day, we're sitting there running around with our real estate agent. Bridget Flint in Park City is terrific. And we're driving around, and Spencer has the the all the listings, the MLS, uh, multi-listing system, printouts in the back of the car. And he's got all the numbers. And Spencer's like, 
17 years old. He's got all the, he's very good in math. They're very good in math. Has all the numbers highlighted. And, and he's like, wait, dad, why, why are we driving to look at this four bedroom property? I was like, why do you ask Spencer? He's like, I'm looking at it. Like it's, it's like a $4 million property. I know we probably can't afford that. I'm just guessing. And there's no way you're going to generate $400,000 a year on a $4 million property. And if you can't, the numbers are never going to work. I said, but Spencer, I saw the pictures online and it just looked really cool. I know the numbers would work, but I just wanted to see the house. He's like, dad, we got so, we've got 20 houses to look at. Top job. We've got to focus like that's And I was like, okay, you're right, Spencer. We, by the way, we did look at the house, but um, he's, was that's it nice? how was it, nice? it was, it was gorgeous. And then, and he's right. And they're right. The, the numbers would sense. never work, ever work, but that's how, so the, and his, the other point they were making was in that whole situation is, is that for our target customer with that four seasons Ritz Carlton? Is this something they would really want? And then do the numbers work? So just those two points. Would they intermediate? That means would they pay the premium uh, for would that they, type of experience? Right. Could you generate that level of rental income that's going to cover and that ratio that we need to make these properties work? And they're exactly right. It's never going to work. Um, and they were spot on. I was like, okay, you're right. I just, I just was pretty. <laughs> Too bad. He's like, Too bad, we have Steve. so Too much bad. to do. <laughs> 15 more properties well. exactly so anyway. so that's all fine and dandy that works yeah. for you but you obviously don't don't sell your don't rent those properties in your own silo you have a competition right, right. so Absolutely. how do you address and i think that's your trick number three uh yeah. for basically uh, how do you make it work with the rest of the competition it's just like you know you are living obviously you are now in park city utah i understand it's basically a market yeah. where you can expect a certain profile or a certain profile of guests to be coming um, or do you make sure that basically you're still going to be competitive? Because I'm sure you, you may not be. Are you the only v luxury vacation rental provider in Park City, Utah? I think. No. I'm feeling a bit silly Hardly. just saying it. Exactly, exactly. And by the way, this is like as a venture capital, right? So I'm a VC and I'm an entrepreneur, a startup person. It's like when you talk to a startup entrepreneur, who's your competition? We don't have any competition. We're, of course you have competition. Of course we have competition. As a matter of fact, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of condos in this market. By the way, they position themselves, oh, luxury vacation rentals. So everybody loves to use that moniker, luxury, luxury gourmet kitchen. So I think you're right. That third aspect that's critical to understand if you want to maximize ROI is make sure you are very careful to understand who is your competition, right? What is your target? Then as you think about that, your competition for your target customer. Again, I'm going after a very specific customer. And then I start to think about what can we do that can make us unique? What can we do that makes, that we can create that differentiation? So one of the things that we try to do is for our market is so far, we've been lucky enough and very fortunate. All of the properties that we buy are ski in, ski out. So that means I'm, I'm sitting in the Caledonian right now in Park City, Utah, shooting this right now in, in the winter. Um, the ski lift is 50 feet, call it 20 meters from the side of the building to the ski lift. This building is 100% ski and ski out. All four of ours are ski and ski out. So one of the ways that we differentiate is location. Like we're and and we're very careful on ski and ski out. Now, by the way, so that takes me from like let's assume Park City. I'm just going to guess has 10,000 vacation rentals in this market. I'm just guessing. Maybe it's 8,000. Okay, so now it's ski and ski out. Okay, so now I just whittled it down. So now we only have like call it. 2,000 competitors or, or 1,500. It's not like, well, that's not unique. So what else can we do for our target customer, right, that that wants that experience? So I think there's there's multiple axes 
you know, multiple ways of differentiating. And I think what you want to do at this, I talk to founders about this for regular startups. And if you're owning a property, you want to have as many differentiators as you can, almost like a three-legged stool. It's like, you know, if you have a one leg on a stool, it's like a pogo stick. It's like a bar stool. You know, what are those three things? So I think location is one, furnishings. So how do you differentiate? Well, look, I find that most people that own vacation rentals, I just want to back up for a moment on location, right? Um, if I go to the south of France, there's beachfront and then there's everything else, right? So like what we do to us, ski and ski out, like beachfront. And they're, they're usually not building a lot more beaches these days. So there's a very limited amount of inventory. So that first differentiation, wherever you are in the world, there's going to be a location differentiation. Okay, next, furnishings. I want to get into furnishings and tech and all kinds of things. So one of the differentiators that we use that I find is actually pretty easy. When we first started coming to Park City, I'm going to really date myself. I'd look at other people's vacation rentals and you'd walk in and you'd see this crappy, shitty little black and white television. Literally, like, and a CRT, like not a flat screen, because flat screens didn't exist 23 years ago. And I'd walk in and I'd talk to the owner, like, where did that television even come from? Like, was that in your basement at home in New York where you live and you brought it out here? Like, eh, it's a piece of crap. It's not even good enough for a house. I'll put it in our vacation rental. They're like, yeah, that's exactly what we did. We recycled this crappy old television and we put it in our vacation rental because it's not even, we wanted something nice in our basement at home. I, I find that... 90% of owners, that's how they think. So another, when you're doing competitive differentiation and understanding your competition, so we go on furnishings, everybody else goes low, we go high, right? So furnishings, we put in really nice furnishings. We put in, when it's bedding, like I, we put in great pillows, We like all these little things. The shower head, we're also very detail-oriented. The shower head has to be great because when you go out hiking or skiing for a day, you want to come back and you you don't want to go in a little shower that's like, oh, a little spritz, like you want to get deluged. The tech and electronics, I'm, I'm looking just in this master bedroom. We had an incident, or not an incident, one of our condos, our, um, our oldest child, Spencer, stayed there last year after we just got it online. And I, I told them, like, could we have put a 65-inch television in at the in the living room? Yeah, we could have, but we put an 85-inch. We put the biggest TV, by the way, as an extra, like, $200 to go, like, maximum. And my point is, I want a guest to walk in there, and they walk in there like, oh, my God, look at the size of that TV. Like, I want that reaction because our target customer and our guest, I want to differentiate on the competition on location, furnishing, furnishings, tech and electronics, toiletries, all of that. The last thing that we use that I think about from competition is experience. What's the experience? So my uh, last thing on that, quickly for a moment, I had somebody years ago say, well, you know, how do you think about these tenants? Now, I'm, gonna, I, I'm sorry, like English is my best language. Spanish is pretty good. I don't speak any French, but our, our oldest child, Spencer, is absolutely fluent in French. But, it, you know, somebody said to me, how do you think about your tenants? I was like, they're not tenants. They're guests. Right? A tenant, you know, you lease an apartment or you lease a flat for a year, right? That's a tenant. This is a guest. We're delivering an experience. So think about differentiating for your competition for experience. Well, how do we do that? We think that our experience starts from the moment that guest placed a booking, literally, the, the booking, that booking, the experience begins. And the experience ends when they're driving to the airport to Salt Lake City and going home. We own, we have to own and design that experience. And oh, by the way, Great for, for people like you, PC. Like, 
literally hospitable. Here's our paid placement. Just kidding. It's not hospitable is part of that experience. Like people say, man, I book it. I instantly get a, a, a booking detailed booking confirmation. And then, you know, three weeks before arrival, I get this before departure. You send me a, a thing the next morning they get, you know, the next, the morning after arrival, that is part of the experience. And I find most of the property managers in this market and owners don't do shit. <laughs> they, they don't, None of that exists. So last, just to go back, competition. How can you understand your competition, understand your points of differentiation, things like location, furnishings, tech, experience, amenities. How can you make yourself unique on multiple axes? So I'm again going to be the devil's advocate. Thank you, Steve, for yeah. the paid placement. Yeah. You, you're not paid. In yeah. <laughs> you're the host here. I'm the host. Exactly. You're the guest. And indeed, that's a responsibility. Yeah, yeah. But So I'm going to massage you onto the next level. So the next sure. thing. Talking about what 95 inches TV, do you have a rule for making the math work about all the furnishing and the amenities that you provide? Because I have a feeling that a lot of people basically hear, okay, I need to have this large TV. But again, going back on 2.2, it needs to make sense in terms of the math. So Absolutely. There, what, I'm, what I'm concerned about is this is still a business. You only yeah, have a absolutely. business if you're able yep. to get money out of it. Otherwise, Absolutely. you make it a, a self-investment kind of prophecy where you basically inject more and more cash into your own property, but you never right. cash out. Right. So right. is there any rule that you're having about overspending, not, uh, you know, like being realistic about the expense? Are there, is mm -hmm. there you, you put money into a, into, a, into a TV, are there been expenses that you say no to because they don't make sense? Um, look, when we buy a property, we have a budget. We work with the designer. She's terrific. We've done this so many times, by the way, like the designer, Susan Monahan, we work with. It's like a well-oiled machine. We just like take another property and put it through its process. If we buy a three-bedroom property that's, you know, roughly $2 million, we'll budget about $150,000, furnishing, electronics, everything. I have a tendency to overspend. It's just my personality for properties, not in other areas. Um, and because I want to deliver that guest experience. So let's think about that as think is, is a fourth point. Like if you want to um, really maximize, like what is one of the you know, underappreciated aspects? I, I tend to overspend, but I overspend on the categories that are important. Again, if I was buying, you know, a $200,000 property, I could say PC in Brussels, that property you were master releasing and running out, you overspent. Like, did you have to spend the money on a SIM card? Did you have to spend the money on a little bit faster Wi-Fi and internet connection? Did you have to spend the money? You're like, well, I want to deliver a great experience for that guest. So I think you can, whatever it is you need to deliver that experience, you need to calibrate that spending. We do do, and I, I said to Spencer, when we bought the TV, I was like, look, we, my guests, I told them at that time, we probably overspend on a condo by twenty-five to $50,000. In, in furnishing. And again, the, the, just the, everybody's numbers, wherever that number could be $2,000 if you're doing something smaller. But what we're doing is one of the things, so we operate in buildings where there's other property managers and rental managers running their condos. And they say, we don't understand. Your condos are a machine. It's just, you're one guest after another. There's no, like somebody will say, oh, we have to, you know, there's a problem in the building. So we'll get into your condo between guests storing ski season and fix it. And I'll tell them there is no between guests. There's no downtime, right? Because it is one it's a one guest after another nonstop. The way that we do that, so the way I look at it is, let's see, most people in this market probably run at 60 to 70% occupancy. We run generally at 95% occupancy. Our average rental rate on a nightly basis is probably $2,000 to $2,500 per night. Let's 
So the math gets easy. A four-month season, we stay busy nonstop. And what I say to our kids is that overspend of $25,000 to $50,000, we make it back in one species. Done. The reviews are through the roof. People will literally say, I typically stay at four seasons. This is nicer than the four seasons. So we do overspend right down to like the plates and the dishes and the wine glasses. You know, like if you stay at a, at a property in Brussels and it holds four people, I, I've stayed at places like that. And it's fine. I, I have pretty low expectations depending on what I book. You stay, you ever stay at a place that has four people? You open up the pantry, you open up in the, in the kitchen. You're like, oh, look, there's six plates and there's six forks and there's six knives. And if you don't do, you have to constantly do it. Like we even overspend in that category because I want people to have a great experience. It's not a lot of money, but it helps deliver that for that target customer, for that point of differentiation. That's what we do. And we make it back really, really quickly. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> again, on the uh, several categories that you basically decide to overspend, um, as was myself, obviously much smaller operation, much more yeah, modest. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's yeah. this is the things. Basically, I find a way to basically get or have my guest have croissant in the in the morning. Obviously, you can hear the accent. Yeah. There's no good morning that doesn't start without a good croissant. Uh, absolutely. Um, and and I also kind of systematize and basically operationalize. You know, this kind of beer testing experience. I I wanted to basically make it. I wanted to to offer that to to to, to my guest, but I also mm -hmm. didn't want to bankrupt myself and basically pay pay too much uh, in the, in this fashion. So that's right. still a constant. But the, as you a question is there anything any amenity you said talk about the overspending on several categories i mean there are some mm -hmm. categories where you don't want to overspend correct correct there's so a limit yeah it's probably not is like do you want a jacuzzi in you in every single one of your properties i think you would yeah. like to say yes for your for yeah, your guests i mean I definitely one, would say this, no on mine yeah but. yeah yeah this one i mean but that's that's something okay let's go back great question let's go back to our metric or our our, our test who's our target customer our target customers four seasons you know, Ritz Carlton kind of person. Do they, would that be a differentiator for them? Yes. Big yes. Down this, this, this condo I'm in is two floors. It's got two balconies on the lower balcony is an eight person hot tub jacuzzi. And it is out there looking at the ski slope. And because that's what this target customer wants. So I'm going to, I'm going to overspend on, on what, where I can deliver a great guest experience. Uh, there is a limit. Like we don't do everything, but we, we yeah. what do you not overspend on? Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm looking at this condo and the, the, the art that's on the wall, is that real art or a picture of art? It's a picture of art. You know, is everything wallpapered or is it paint? It's paint. It's not wallpapered. You know, I, I don't look, what we're trying to deliver is I want people actually to come and stay in our properties and say, like they go in the kitchen and they look at all the utensils we have and they're like, this is the same thing I have in my home or nicer. They're we don't overspend in every category. I've gone into condos that, you know, people buy a condo for $4 million and then do $6 million of alterations to it. That's crazy. Um, I, well, it's not crazy. It's what they want, but there is a limit to the overspending, but it's just, again, I'm, and I'm being a little bit over the top and dramatic about the overspend. We have a target customer. We have points of differentiation. What can we do? Last point, because we use hospitable for this. When a guest departs, we email as part of the departure procedure using hospitable. Where could we do better? Every single guest. What are we missing? What amenity? What could we add? What would make your stay better? Because then I crowdsource. And oh, by the way, we follow up with every guest if they have an idea. Um, we follow up with this guest to get new, you know, like, oh, I wish you had a crock pot in the kitchen. That's a great idea. All four of them will have crock pots. 
and they're $60 and it's not very expensive. Anyway, yeah, that's overspending. For, for your case. Want, want to move to the next point? Yeah, I think you touched on it a bit briefly. It's yeah, basically guests, not tenants. And I think that's basically guests. a very important tool, yeah. definitely, in our industry. And I'm not gonna I'm gonna go I'm not gonna go too deep on it because we did think of them as guests, not tenants. The only thing I want to point out is for what we do at Parker Chase Properties, it's a team, right? It's myself, it's the housekeeping team, it's the property management team, you know, that's doing the the break fix. And what I need to do, let me just make sure I'm still on mute here, or not mute, but uh, do not disturb all my there. So anyway, so that guest experience. What needs to be important is there's multiple people involved when our guests stay. That means our housekeeping team needs to understand what do we need to do to deliver a great guest experience. Our property manager, so when they're making decisions, like Letitia, who heads up our housekeeping team, she has about 20 people that work in housekeeping. She doesn't just take care of our property. She takes care of a lot of properties. Like, I need her to think, wow, look, there's a, a minor stain on that pillowcase. And I need her to think every single time, oh, for the guest experience we're trying to deliver, if somebody was staying at a Ritz-Carlton, should that, like, I need her to think that way. I need her team to think that way. I need our property manager. So again, thinking about treating them like guests, not tenants, and that everybody on the team thinks that same way because they don't need to ask me. They know what the right thing to do is to deliver that get guest great guest great guest experience. So it's it's almost like a company culture. Uh, like yeah. every company, you need to have a, a set of culture. And obviously, in a short-term model, that cultural part is basically eating strategy for breakfast. You can't say that you want to go after those risk out on guests, but it needs to be lived on every day. And indeed, uh, everybody needs to pay and, attention to the same details. And it needs to be simple, right? Because if somebody can't like, huh, yeah. what would a great guest experience be? It, need, it can't be like this complicated formula and 17 points. It needs to be really simple a North star that always guides every decision everybody on the team makes. Well, what would that, what would be deliver a great guest experience? And it's not a stained duvet on top of the bed. And, and the, the other thing just quickly is like Letitia and her team. I don't want to text or an email from her saying, Hey, the duvet is stained. Should I replace it? She knows. I was like, Letitia, if there's anything that's up to a three, we've been working together for 15 years, by the way, if, if there's anything up to a $3,000 budget, don't even ask me, just replace it and put it on the bill. <laughs> No, but it's like, I don't, it, it shouldn't no, even be good. like, I don't want, yeah, but, and by the way, we started at a thousand, we kept raising it. She's like, all the pillowcases are starting to get a little worn. Replace all of them for our target customer. So it's, again, it's understanding yeah. that and making sure the team's calibrating. But I think there's something that resonates with every operation, whatever, whatever yep. the size and scale of it, of value, uh, absolutely. Of price, yep. per, price per night. So yep. you were talking about guest experience. Obviously, that's a very important thing for us all. Yep. Um, and you you wanted to talk a little bit more about the fact that it starts from the moment they book until yeah. the I just, moment they're on their way yeah. to the airport. Yeah, the we door. and we talked about this a little bit before. And again, it's yeah. why your product. We also use a product from Touch Today, you know, which is the digital house guide. Same type of thing. That guest experience. That guest experience starts from the moment you realize you own the guest experience from the moment they book to the moment they're on the way out the door. How do you, and Brian Chesky always thinks about design, right? They design everything at Airbnb. How do you design that guest experience? Make sure you own it. Make sure that when a guest books, they have lots of questions that are going through their mind. You want to communicate, maybe almost over-communicate. It's an easy way to differentiate. Hospitable makes it easy to do that. And just all, my point is, when you're trying to maximize ROI, operating in short-term short vacation rentals, what we're talking about, 
one of the things if you want to maximize ROI and deliver is just make sure that you have in your mind that guest experience doesn't start from when they're typing in the code on the door to get in. It starts all the way from the booking to the moment they're going to leave. And you need to really think that through. Yeah. Um, on, on that note, so Brian Chesky, uh, as, as an interview on Master of Scale, where he especially talks about this kind of design pro design thinking process. And he talks mm -hmm. exactly about this thing, like you, you're a guest, you arrive at the airport, you're going to check in. And, you know, the baseline is basically that you have a five star. That's the rule right. is that everybody is having a five star, but we don't know what it means. It's just it kind of works. I'm able to get in. Uh, right. It may not be absolutely perfect, but I'm able to get in. So what right. is a six star experience? Well, the six star experience is that you have the host uh, showing up at your airport is going to drive you directly to the place so you don't have to buy it to get a taxi and you basically have a bit of a happy surprise that basically you're going to be brought directly to the place, the location that, that you need. The, what is a seven star experience? Well, the, this car, the, this time the car is on the tarmac, so you don't even go through customs or you know getting your bags. It's already done, and you basically have right. driven there. This, what is a, right. what is an eight star? Well, that's the same, but with a helicopter. And, right, and right, a nine right. star? Wow. Well, it's Van Diesel that's going to be piloting it, or you have Beyonce in it. That's so, so cool. Basically, and I think that's that's kind of the thing that we also ask, for example, for every interview for joining Hospitable. Huh? Um, it, it, it's also something to that is a good experience and good exercise for everyone to basically, oh, could they go and stretch to the next level? And then you work backwards on basically right. finding what's reasonable, uh, right. what would actually be making a difference. I don't, the helicopter, lifetime experience, uh, Beyonce sure. in it, that's probably the return on investment is probably not as big. No, My, no. <laughs> but it's Beyonce, but uh, you know, we love yeah. that. Anyway, there we go. So, there and that, go. that's kind of said something about, about the guest expectations. I mean, that's the thing that yep. you were saying about basically from the booking time. Right. I think that's your right. seven points. So what's, uh, what's, so yeah, yes, we have seven, five underappreciated aspects. We are on right. number seven. So We're that's already something, then, saying something about going above and beyond. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, true, true. Setting expectations. So that's great. So we set the expectation. Let's have five, but let's over-deliver. And hopefully people listen to the end of this, this podcast. I think one of the things that we're talking about throughout all of this, right, is making sure that expectations are accurately set. So when I mean about expectations accurately set, let's let's move away from vacation rentals and short-term rentals for a minute. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about food. And let's talk about, you live, do you live, PC, do you live in Paris? Are you outside Paris? I don't even know. I know you're in France, but where are you? I'm in Brussels in Belgium. <laughs> so oh, nowhere near Paris, France. But oh, I'm, I'm French, sorry. but that's, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. Okay, so you're in uh, Brussels. And, and my understanding is the, the biggest exercise that you get in Brussels is pushing yourself away from the table because the food is so good. I don't know. I don't know if that joke <laughs> is still true anymore. Anyway. Okay, my apologies. But let's just even, you, well, I'm going to go to France because I had something planned for this for France. Let's, but we're going to ship skip short-term rentals when we talk about food, right? I could go to a McDonald's. I'm assuming you have McDonald's in Brussels. And I could get chopped beef, like a, a hamburger patty. And I could get a hamburger patty at McDonald's, right? And I could get a hamburger, a big uh, steak chain in the United States. It's called Ruth Chris Steakhouse, right? And I could get a chopped beef at Ruth Chris Steaks, Ruth, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. By the way, it's very high-end steakhouse, delicious food. I mean, it's, and it's very, very expensive. If I was in Paris, there's like Sacre Flores, I think how you pronounce it. It's like the very high-end steakhouse. And I could get a, excuse me, I could get a chopped beef at Sacre Flores, and if that's how you pronounce it, I apologize for my French, in Paris, right? Oh my God, my expectations are so different. If I went in and I paid two euros at a mcdonald's i don't know what it would cost in brussels and i paid two euros in, at mcdonald's and i got a chopped beef and i'd be like yeah i got what i paid for if i went into ruth chris 
and paid 50 euros for chopped beef and got basically a McDonald's hamburger on my plate, I'd be like, what are you kidding? This is horrible. But if I went to a place in Paris, why? It's all expectations. So I think the other thing is make sure that you're delivering a guest against guest expectations. I set, we set at what we do at Parker Chase Properties, a very high bar, very, very high. And then our job, and it's not easy, is to deliver consistently every single time to meet and hopefully exceed expectations. I want people to come in and say the property looked that, by the way, we spend a lot on photography. You know, it's another area where it's like, a picture's worth a thousand words. It's really important to have spectacular. We use a great professional ph architectural photographer. I want a guest to say in the review, it was nicer than the pictures. The amenities were over the top. I wanted to over deliver on those expectations. If I'm at a, if I'm in Brussels and I have a place where just four of us between Brussels and Paris, there was a SIM card. The Wi-Fi was really fast. The shower was hot. Like really, you still can deliver whatever those expectations are. But my point is, if you are charging 2,000 euros a night for the place in Brussels, there's a different set of expectations. So just like that McDonald's to fancy steakhouse, just make sure you understand, because if somebody's paying three euros, as long as you deliver three euros of value, it's okay. But whatever you're charging, make sure that you're aligning with your expectations and hopefully over-delivering on So you were talking about photography. I'm pretty sure that's also about description listings and the marketing yeah. that, that, goes, yeah. that goes about that. Um, yeah. What what else are you are using to basically communicate the, the those expectations to the guests, including after they book? So to make sure that to reassure them that that's indeed yeah. the level of service they're going to receive, and yep. maybe they can expect something more that better experience than what they were initially contemplating. Um, they get lots of emails using your platform. We send them a link to a touch a touch stay digital I house guide, yeah. which which oh by the way, and you could do it with any technology, but is incredibly detailed and people will say like i i also don't want just as a quick note like i i try not to do we have a lot of guests we well it's not a lot for us there's about a thousand people a year right now that stay in our properties i can't have questions every single day because i also do other work right so yeah. i want to design that guest experience and design that digital guide so i can anticipate every single question whether they're coming for the winter and they want ski rentals or they're coming in the summer or they want a personal chef or how do I get from the airport? So we design that and we want to set expectations. So months before their arrival, they have all of their questions starting to be answered. They understand what the condo is going to have. They understand what's going to be available to them. It's also setting their expectations once they've bought. That's, yeah. that's fantastic to try to have a guidebook. And yes, you can do that also with, I was doing that myself. So yeah, I touched there. I don't sure I was in business when I, when I was, uh, but yeah, simply having, um, yeah, having a, a PDF, um, uh, containing all the, with pictures, with clear detail inscription. I remember, you know, having a detailed inscription manual for the buttons on the remote because it would be in French. So, you know, people right. would be a bit Ex confused. Exactly. Um, Uh, and basically also, uh, for example, also very much on, on my type of persona, but that was really also um, giving them, you know, this kind of signature book uh, for guests to basically leave a note that obviously would be placed in a very good location so that people could look at it and also basically check what did people like, what did people visit, because they always were um, quite verbose and basically sharing a lot of tips about the experience yeah. with, uh, with staying at the property for, for the next guest as well. Uh, but yeah, again, my, my experience, it was at the time, hospitable did not exist. I had to create it. Uh, so that exactly. was a bit, a bit of a different mileage. Um, but yeah, those are fantastic tips. I'm just going to let you, Steve, 
recap yeah. a little bit on those five plus uh, tips sure. to basically make sure that we can uh, we can have the, the good bite uh, from you directly. Sure. So the to me the five or seven underappreciated aspects people think of them but underappreciated for maximizing vacation rental ROI. Number one, have a clear ideal customer profile. Who is your target customer? Number two, make sure you can understand and model the math that's going to work. If you're buying a property, what does the ratio need to look like so you can make that property successful? Make sure you understand that math going before going into it. Number three, understand your competition, right? What makes you unique? What makes you different? How are you going to win? Number four, are there certain categories where you need to overspend because you really want to deliver that uh, experience? Number five, make sure that everyone on your team understands these are not tenants, right? They're not leasing property for a year. These are guests, and you need to treat them like guests and make sure everybody on your team understands you need to deliver a great guest experience, whatever that experience is that you're designing it. Um, number six, realize that that guest experience starts from the moment they book until the moment they leave. You own that experience, you wanna design it and think about all the points to make it a wonderful time for your guests. Um, and then the last thing, number seven, is make sure that you're delivering against expectations. Set expectations accurately and then deliver against those expectations. It's almost like buying a hamburger at McDonald's versus buying a, a chopped beef at a fancy steak place. I'm going to pay different prices. I have different expectations. And I want to make sure that I deliver the right product for the and the right value for the price paid. Steve, thank you so much. I'm going to outro you a little bit, if you don't mind, so people yeah, yeah. remember who you are. You're CEO sure. currently right now of Packages Property. That's your family business currently operating yeah. for luxury vacation rental property located in Park City, Utah, where you can ski. Do, is there a discount code for people that would you have? They don't. They don't. They <laughs> don't, do don't, don't think. Do not discount. <laughs> I don't think you, your client is not price sensitive. Yeah, um, yeah. You you basically are an engineering background. Uh, you've created uh, for 30 years multiple startups. You are the former managing partner of Dream Adventures, um, mm -hmm. a VC fund that has several hundreds of millions of dollars in assets, mm -hmm. hopefully B. You taught yeah. at Wharton for the MBA program. You don't have an MBA program yourself. I'm sorry for right. reading through your notes a little, bit okay. a little bit quickly. And yeah, you've been operating in this industry for the past 20 years. Thank you so much, Steve, for your time. I know we went a little bit overboard, but honestly, that was fantastic content. And I hope that we're going to be appreciated by, by our audience. Thank you so much, Thanks. Steve. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye.